0: scary movie.
1: Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Congratulations. You are so alive. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Mm. Yeah. For fun? Most people are so unwavering. I am so sorry. To be alone. What do you want? to fun?
0: Presence in the house with you. We can't hurt you
1: if you don't
0: believe. I suggest you leave that house. Do it, Gordon. Tell me what you do. It's not even real.
1: He's been watching you. At the grocery store. When you pump your gas At the corner laundromat He knows where you live He knows when you're alone He knows what your room looks like He could be anyone He could be anywhere
0: And he'll take you Anytime he wants
1: I to... The Garbage Man. <laughs> what are you gonna do? A new avant-garde horror no, experience. No, no. I, I, I... Coming soon to a theater near you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host uh, uh, for this afternoon. And here, um, uh, 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 sorry again, fo- uh, folks, the interview is actually happening. So uh, uh, p- uh, please st- uh, please uh, welcome um, Mr. Hart Fisher uh, to the room. Thank you for coming on. And sorry about the mix-up or mishap or uh, 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 about uh, trying to get you on. But we're here.
1: Well, it's okay. You know, when you deal with this kind of technology, there's always some different bugs and, you know, Google updates its stuff without telling you. So it was kind of funny that you're like, why did you block me? And I'm like, I didn't block you. I blocked out of my Facebook. I don't even know why.
0: (laughs) Well, I figure it'll be... Uh, something to get the uh, get the th- thing going, so uh, so people will probably be on the page going like, "What? What's happening?" <laughs> so, exactly. in any case, uh, I'm gonna ask you uh, where you're originally from and how you got into the horror business per se, because you you're not just involved in the film business; you're involved in the horror comics business, and you've also done a lot of acting. So. I've had a really long and varied career. Uh, it, it's been one
1: hell of a life, i got to tell you. Uh, I started off as a kid, you know, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then I spent most of my life growing up on the south side of Chicago in Blue Island, Illinois.
0: Okay.
1: And I, uh, I went to a school for super smart kids called PI, Project Individual Education. And when I graduated from that, I went on to college at the University of Illinois, and I studied art because I wanted to do comic books. Originally, I was supposed to be a chemical engineer. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I decided halfway through high school, I'm like, you know, i got to live my life for me. And do I really want to go be a chemist? I'm like, no, I want to draw comic books. So I really pissed off my parents. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine so. I was on that career track to be a chemical engineer. My best friends from high school went on to become chemical engineers and become like pharmacists and stuff. And I'm the mad artist. Uh, I went to school at the University of Illinois okay. and I got a degree in fine and applied arts. And I, I have a degree in painting. And so I started my comic book company, Boneyard Press, from the U of I at the U of I while I was still in school. And then. Uh, Things got really crazy. I mean, I I published my first book that I did was called Dark Angel and it was a character I'd been drawing since high school. Actually, I'd been drawing him as as a a character. I sold comic books to my friends since I was a kid. My mother worked for the Department of Public Aid in in Chicago, so she had access to a Xerox machine when I was a kid. So my mother would go Xerox my comics that I drew and I would sell them at school. Okay. So uh, I did comic book publishing. I started my company in 1991 with Boneyard Press. The first book we did was Dark Angel and uh, Bill the Bull. And uh, <laughs> before I even got famous, I was already involved in a lawsuit with Marvel Comics. Uh, <laughs> most people do not know this, but I am one of the only creators in the entire world. As far as I know, I'm the only comic book creator who's ever beaten Marvel Comics for trademark and copyright infringement. And I got that teaming up with the Hells Angels, the Hells Angels motorcycle gang, uh, helped me out and gave me a lot of good legal advice and, and walked me through my case cause they were involved in a battle with Marvel and they beat Marvel. And so Marvel changed their title from Hells Angel to Dark Angel, which was my trademark book. So I won, I beat them, <laughs> I kicked their ass in court and, uh. Then the Dahmer book hit, and so I'd already made a real name for myself within the first year of publishing by suing Marvel Comics, by beating Marvel Comics, Uh, and then the Dahmer thing happened. I did a book on Jeffrey Dahmer. I did a biography book on him that completely condemned him, completely condemned the mass media's portrayal of him and the mass marketing of the mass media because the mass media has a tendency to – they sell us serial killers. You know, if you study psychology, if you study anything about how the media is used, you would understand that uh, the media is culpable for these mass shootings, these shootings in schools and such. The mass media is completely culpable and responsible for marketing and selling them. They've already done studies on this that, yes, indeed, these killers are pushed and prodded and goaded and given a reward system by the mass media. And even in 1991 or 1992 and 93, when I did the Dahmer book, I was keenly critical of of this and keenly aware of this kind of thing. And so they went after me. The mass media turned it on its head and they said, I'm a scumbag. I'm an uneducated idiot. They, They said that I was some kind of Satan worshiping thug when that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, the devil's for losers, guys. Uh, If you're out there worshiping the devil, you're a goddamn loser because (laughs) he was thrown out of heaven. He got his ass kicked. He's in charge of the basement. He's like a teenage kid. He's like,
0: you know, Dad, I'd rather rule the basement than serve upstairs and do dishes. I won't do your dishes, Dad. I'm in charge of the basement. I'm the devil. I won't serve upstairs. I rule in the basement.
1: It's fucking ridiculous, man. So <laughs> be keenly aware of devil worshipers tend to be losers. They tend to be fuck ups. I mean, that's just my own experience with most Satan worshipers. And I'll, I'll say it to even the guys I know, even devil worshipers I know. I'm like, guys, I can see it in your own lives. You fuck yourselves. You lie to yourself and you, you fuck up. So anyway, getting back to the mass media thing, they, they turned it on, on, on its head. And I had a, a battle. The victim's families uh, sued me. They said I invaded their privacy, which is insane because I did the research for my comic book at the public library. Mm -hmm. As a good student, I recognize the public library is a very valuable resource of knowledge. I like to read and I like to do my research. So uh, it went nuts. And in order to pay for my legal fees and fighting these court battles, I had to do more dollar books. If you were offended by this biography that I'm trying to be cool about, that I'm so trying to...
0: How, how, how many Dahmer books did you actually create?
1: Well, we did four in total. We did okay. the original Jeffrey Dahmer bio book, and then we did the sequel, which is actually the hardest one to find. The hardest one to find is The Further Adventures of Young Jeffy Dahmer and his best friend, Danny Quayle. So... Uh, I, I did more books. I did the Jeffrey Further Adventures of Young Jeffrey Dahmer. Then we did Dahmer Zombie Squad. Okay. Then we did Jeffrey Dahmer versus Jesus Christ. And once you do Jeffrey Dahmer versus Jesus Christ, you jump the shark. It's over. It's time to kill it. No more Dahmer books. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I did books like Kill Image, where I killed the founders of Image. And uh, that really upset them. They thought I was really coming to get them. And I, I grew up reading Mad Magazine and Cracked and Mel Brooks, so I'm a big fan of satire. I love satire, I love spoofs, I really love spoofs. Uh, So I did a lot of that. I made most of my money in comic books writing satire. I'm known for the horror, but the money I made in comic books was from doing Rush Limbaugh Must Die or doing O.J.'s Big Bust Out. And yes, I was sued by O.J. Simpson, and yes, I beat O.J. Simpson in court also. Okay. So uh, ultimately, um, right. that's the beginnings of my career in comic books. And, and when I first did, when the Dahmer thing hit, uh, we, me and my friends decided that we would use the Dahmer controversy as a way to piggyback a movie. So in 1993, I started shooting, I wrote and directed my first feature film, The Garbage Man, which is about a serial killer. And my girlfriend, Michelle, was raped and murdered by a black uh, killer, in the middle of making this film. So life kind of imitated art there, and it was, uh, I lost my mind, I i, I went nuts. I, I've had a lot of violence in my life. You ask about my involvement with horror. Uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a very violent part of town, and I grew up around human wreckage and drug abuse and abusive parents, and not mine. Mine were pretty good. Oh, we had our trouble here and there, but they were pretty good parents. And Around me, you know, it was normal for me to see my friend's dad beat him up in front of me. And it wasn't the only dad I saw do that. Uh, It was normal for me to get attacked by four or five guys at once. It was normal for me to have a couple guys grab me in an alley and beat the shit out of me for a while, take turns beating me up. So as my life got more and more violent, my work became more and more violent. And as I saw more and more death and destruction and mutilation and rape and molestation in my personal life around me with friends and family, uh, it, it was pretty uh, pretty intense growing up where I grew up. And then I had several girlfriends raped leading up to my girlfriend's rape and murder. And so when that happened, I
0: I lost my mind. There were a period of ten years where I was functioning crazy, and and. I- and uh, before we go on, I, w- I wanted to say uh, I'm sorry for your uh, girlfriend's death and murder. I know that it was uh, in the news a, l- a lot at the time, and uh, it-, it was around the time uh, 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 that the Dahmer comics were, uh, was, were they were still fighting. you, Correct. It was
1: quite a sensational sex crime uh, because the guy's defense was that he had a S and M relationship with her. And that he was the boy on the side, which was all a lie. You know, this guy raped her, shot her up with a shotgun. You know, this is a real piece of human excrement here. Mm -hmm. So there were three different murder trials over the course of 10 years. And it kept getting uglier and dirtier because, you know, it's a sex crime. So I was a major witness in the trial. My father was a major witness in the trial. Uh, My father was there at the hotel when she was murdered. Uh, If he had been up a little sooner and up at the front of the hotel with her where she worked, he would have been dead too. Just 10 minutes, he would have been dead. Uh, So having those experiences, I'm not like other creators. Uh, You're not going to intimidate me by saying you're going to say something mean about me on Twitter. My whole life was turned upside down by the mass media. Before Trump ever said anything about fake news, I was fake news. These news people lie. They lie, and they lie, and they lie. And the nastiest trick they did to me, and this is why I did talk shows. The reason I went on Sally Jesse Raphael, the reason why I went on Jerry Springer is because they couldn't recut me. Mm-hmm. They couldn't edit me. Because, like, I was interviewed for CNN for their documentary, Murder by Numbers. Okay, and what they did in their coverage is really foul, and it's something that has gotten even worse in modern mass media, is you'll be interviewed, and they'll ask you a question like, how do you like your steak cooked? Do you like it raw, real bloody? And you go, I love my steak, really raw and real bloody. (laughs) So they'll take the answer to that question, and they'll go, why would you do a story about Jeffrey Dahmer? Because I like it raw and bloody. (laughs) That's pretty disingenuous, isn't it? Yeah. It's deceptive as fuck. And that was in the 90s, and the media's only gotten worse. I work in that business. I work behind the scenes. I understand how the news in our country is shaped. People think it just magically appears in the newspaper and it does not. There is an agenda of the newspaper. Time Magazine has an agenda. If you wanna look at Time Magazine and wonder why Time does not cover uh, the opioid crisis properly or cover what's going on with doctors being bribed to prescribe drugs to people who don't need it, uh, that's because if you go through Time Magazine and count all the advertisements in the magazine, you'll see that a vast proportion of the advertising is from Big Pharma. But now we're getting into politics, which would be my radio show heart attack. Let's get to <laughs> regular old horror and American
0: horrors. And, you know, so this totally is. Thing- yeah,
1: so, yeah, sorry about that.
0: What I'm gonna uh, what I'm gonna ask you about is how you got into uh, 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 how you got into uh, creating uh, the Garbage Man a little bit more, and uh, where did you film uh, Garbage Man? Uh, by the way,
1: uh, the Garbage Man germinated because I was blown away by Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer uh, with Michael Rooker. It had been banned for many years, and I drove from Champaign, Illinois to downtown Chicago to catch a midnight movie of it at the Music Box Theater. Uh, and that movie just really, really blew me apart. I, I, I was just, I'd never seen a film like that. And so I was inspired. I wanted to do my version of that. And so we wrote the garbage, I wrote The Garbage Man in uh, 1992. We shot test footage, eight millimeter test footage. Uh, and I was living at the University of Illinois in Champaign, Illinois. Okay. So When it came time to shoot the film, I had just graduated from college. I was in the middle of all the Jeffrey Dahmer controversy. And so we were shooting the movie on 16 millimeter film around the University of Illinois. So we shot at a bar called Mabel's where I was a bouncer. Uh, The owners there, Amy and and Paul were fantastic. Uh, There was a, a lot of the business owners really helped us out. One of the great things about making films in the Midwest is you can really get a lot of help from your local businesses. You can get discounts from your local eateries. You can go and, and work out deals with different businesses to help you. They really bend over backwards. When we shot Garbage Van, we even had a garbage company called Hustlers who, for no money at all, they let us shoot in their location. They let us shoot in their headquarters. They gave us a garbage truck with a driver to drive around in. They set up routes for us. Uh, filmmaking in the Midwest is is a really great place to be making movies because you can get that kind of help. To do the things I wanted to do in Los Angeles, you'd have to get all kinds of permits and shooting permits. And it, it would have been uh, just a nightmare trying to, to get that done for the money we had in L.A. We wouldn't have been able to do it. So Uh, we
0: were you working union? Uh, because I know that Chicago Chicago filmmakers sometimes are union and sometimes they are not. Were
1: you? I was was a student, I I had just gotten out of college, so I wasn't a member of any union. Okay, our crew was all college student crew, uh, and our guys did an amazing job. Chris and Steve, our, our DPs, were fantastic, and uh. We just used all student actors and I found that like the best actors in the film were my friends who I just cast doing what they do, you know, as themselves. Uh, it, it went, it, it was di- a difficult shoot because the first half was exciting and new and yet at the same time, our lead actor started blackmailing us. Once we started shooting film, he started making us pay his bills. Okay. Uh, Everybody on the film agreed to work on the film for a delayed payment when we got distribution, which is very common in the business. And the only money we were paying for was actual things you had to like feeding people, uh, buying the film stock because we shot an actual film, uh, the camera rental packages, the light rental packages, the money, what little money we were able to raise went into hardcore costs. So Hmm. this person turned around and blackmailed us. And then when my my woman my my love michelle was murdered he upped the blackmail that is called yeah that's a douchebag man (laughs) he he upped the blackmail at one point i had to leave the shoot i had to drive to milwaukee and work the milwaukee metal fest to raise cash money to pay this guy to finish the film in a town where i had death threats on my life and my girlfriend had just been murdered She was only dead for seven days. And I'm at the Milwaukee Metal Fest selling Dahmer shirts. I was packing a gun because I had so many death threats on my life. Uh, And it was advertised that I was going to be there, you know. So this guy really put me in a bad place. And then when when I was there, he walked off the shoot in the middle of an effects scene and left the whole crew hanging. And we had to finish the film without him. Well, so, then what good are you paying him for, you know? Exactly. So I told him to go get fucked. I'm like, go fuck yourself, because he came over for more money. And I'm like, the movie's over, asshole. You walked off the shoot. We shot the rest without you. You fucked up, you dick. You blackmailed me. and And now, fuck you, dude. I had to have the police throw him off my property. Huh. And then he sued me in small claims court. And because of the Jeffrey Dahmer case, you're going to love this. The judge in open court said, after I provided affidavits from the crew and I provided all the paperwork saying this is the agreement we had with everybody on the crew, because the actor made it all up. He made up this whole deal. He didn't have any paperwork to back it up, which is what he said. And never mind what my crew said or the written paperwork I had, the judge literally said in open court, I am well aware of who you are, Mr. Fisher, and what you do. And I find it hard to believe that anyone would enter into an agreement like this with someone like you. So thank you, Mass Media. Thank you, Mass Media. And because of the Mass Media's lies, my mother, who worked for the Department of Public Aid in Chicago, that's right, my mother helped poor people my entire life. So because of The mass media's lies about me. My mother was not able to tell everybody at work who her son was. She worked in a uh, very mixed-race section of of the city and in the Department of Public Aid, and the TV news people portrayed me as a racist and a misogynist. Never mind, I have a black grandma. My step-grandma is black, my grandma Ruthie. I loved her to death, doesn't matter to me if she's black. I don't see black or white. I see people that bleed red because Clyde Barker nailed it. We are all books of blood and when you cut us, we all bleed red. And that's the way I feel about people. So because of the mass media, they hurt my mom. My mom had rumors about who her kid was to the point where they made up a rumor saying my mother had an illegitimate black child and that's why no one knew about her kids. So thanks to the mass media I had to come in and do a whole pony show So everybody knew who her son was in the midst of all this controversy and bullshit. So mass media, I have a deep and unabiding hatred for your lies, your manipulations, and your bullshit. And that's part of the reason I started the American Horrors television channel. It's part of the reason why I have the heart attack radio show so that I would have a mass media voice so that they would never, ever be able to run over me, trample me, hurt my family ever like that again. Now I can fight back now i can go after them and unlike them i never sold out i never threw anybody under the bus no one's caught me lying no one's caught me cheating because i don't i try to live my life as honestly and as straightforward as i can it's all you can do when everybody lies about you when you've been lied about on a scale like i have when there's videos online calling you an intellectual property thief by a crazy person who stole from you (laughs) <laughs> Dude, it's it's an upside-down world, so huh, I am unlike other creators in the horror industry. of a different background, I have different skill sets, you know, uh, and horror is my life. Horror saved my life. Horror is my therapy.
0: <laughs> You're like your own little animal, and that, uh, that's what, what I like about you. <laughs> but uh, ultimately... Oh. How long did it take for you to finally finish um, the garbage man after all of this upset? All, uh, after all, oh, the whole story is even
1: crazier because uh, the people that I had partnered up with, you know, just because you've got a friend and you've known a friend for a long time, it doesn't make that person a good friend. And so these guys that I thought were my best friends were actually some of my worst enemies. And they they lied to me. Uh, I, I wasn't right in the head after the end of this film. I wasn't functioning. I could barely function the second week of the shoot. Uh, I, I wasn't I was mentally collapsing. Michelle's murder really did it to me. Uh, I, I was a mess. I was drinking myself to sleep every night. So these guys had convinced me. I, I didn't even get to see the film. Uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles in 1994, there was a nine-minute rough cut, and my my buddy who had it, all the materials, the shot list, the edit list, the uh, everything that, that had it, he got into a car wreck, and it all burned. So he was in a horrible car wreck, and he was pulled out of it right before the car blew up, and uh, everything burned. Our shot list, uh, our cut list, it all burned. So he gave up then the other guy my other partner on it convinced me that it's no good that it's all garbage and he tried to cut it behind my back and failed so then i saw the blair witch in 1999 and i saw the blair witch and i I liked it a lot and i thought wow if they can finish their film i can finish my film and final cut pro had just come out so i learned how to edit on The Garbage Man, and I, I, I was editing, uh, the first thing I edited was uh, This Cunts for You, an adult film <laughs> for JM Productions. Uh, I worked in that business, I, I worked in the adult film business as a graphic designer, as a photographer, and also as a director. Uh, I did that because it was an easy film school, because you had access to top-notch gear, you had to learn how to get actors who couldn't act, how to act. You learned about editing. It was, it was actually a really good film school. You really got a lot of shooting experience. Uh, so I, I started editing The Garbage Man in 2001 and just was cutting it. And what I would do is we were cutting on Final Cut Pro, and I'd get a rough cut, and then I was scoring it with a band called Pinhole. So when you watch The Garbage Man, I'm singing on a lot of these songs. Uh, a lot of the score, I'm singing. Uh, I'm doing vocals on it. The the voices in his head, uh, the garbage man, the serial killer, you hear the voices in his head of the people that molested him as a child. And we used several uh, award-winning poetry uh, performance artists. And uh, I I did a bunch of the voices myself. And so we finished it in like 2004. And I I was screening it over and over and, and getting people's feedback on it. So it had a, a finalized cut in 2004 and was released to DVD in 2009. Okay. And now you could see it via VOD at AmericanHorrors.com. Go now to AmericanHorrors.com. You can't find it on available
0: on Netflix on demand, but you can find it at VOD at AmericanHorrors.com. <laughs> so uh, ultimately, after uh, The Garbage Man, uh, you started a segment called uh, called Flowers on the Razor World correct?
1: Yeah, Flowers on the Razor Wire was my longest running horror anthology comic book uh, under Boneyard, and I i was a big fan of Stephen Bissett's Taboo, and I was a big fan of Joseph Michael Lindsner's uh, Cry for Dawn, and so I liked his Dawn character a lot, and I wanted to conceive of something like that for American Heart, or for, for Boneyard, and actually it's kind of a, a bad coda, but my character, my my host character for Flowers in the Razor Wire was Michelle. Uh, I had several paintings done of her as this character for Flowers in the Razor Wire, and then we published the first two of them from Dimitri Patelis, but then the others, she was murdered, and I, I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't publish them. I actually gave one artist a kill fee and asked him not to send sell it to another comic company because it looked too much like Michelle, and it was just... <laughs> was absolutely killing me so uh we got a deal from japan uh i dealt with some companies in japan and they produced a pilot the idea was we did flowers in the razor wire as a pilot for japanese tv and we were hoping to do flowers as a horror anthology for japanese television uh that didn't that didn't happen uh but we was released as a standalone release in japan And then it was released also, they did an entire full color uh, hardcover making of the movie photo book that was published by Bunkasha in Japan and released in, I believe it was 2004. Uh, And then there was a Flowers in the Razor Wire feature film that we made, but straight up, the guy, the director lost his mind. The director lost his mind. It devolved into a whole legal battle. he recut the film behind my back after we had it finished. Dude, it's a 6.1 surround sound score, amazing rock and roll soundtrack, uh, full insane film look and, and effects. And uh, this person went, and we, had, we had Sam Raimi's company interested in buying this movie. And this <laughs> jackass went behind my back and recut the movie with some editor from Final Cut Pro. She had her certificate from a community college. <laughs> and they, they dumped all the film look, they dumped the score, the the, and sent it back out to all the distributors with this horrible edit that had literally, I'm not joking, five pages of editing errors. You know what I mean? <laughs> Viewing errors and mistakes. And it, it devolved into a whole horrible legal battle. And so I've got this feature length version of the Flowers and the Razor Wire film that, that is sitting on a shelf that I can't release. <laughs> feature length, and it's pretty good too. The, the movie's pretty good. It, it, it Of course, I didn't notice it at the time, but the director ripped off the plot of my story, A Taste of Cherry, and ripped off the ending of A Taste of Cherry. And I didn't even really notice it at the time. But once it's finished, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. He's ripping off my story for Danzig, A Taste of Cherry, that's banned in Oklahoma as obscene material. Uh, <laughs> written by Christian Moore and me. Uh, we, we wrote it. I did the, the second draft of it. He did the original draft. I did the second draft of it. It got banned in Oklahoma's obscene material. It was part of the Planet Comics bust. It's a whole censorship story. So when I deal with horror people, uh, I do like to taunt them sometimes. And I go, so how, how much of your work is banned in America? Because <laughs> I have my work banned in America. And also some of my work has been burned. I had the second largest distributor uh, just uh, that was based out of Milwaukee, actually. And what was their name? I can't remember their name. Capital Distribution or something like that? Uh, Anyway, they they bought 1,500 copies of the Dahmer book for their customers. They paid me. Then they burned the books. They did not give the Dahmer books to the customers who paid for them. They burned them. So, my friend, you're talking to a man who has literally had his work banned in this country. My work has literally been burned in this country, and I am the only publisher in America to publish Michael Diana, who went to jail for his artwork, and I did this, uh, I mean, there was another, other people publishing him, but I published him after he was, <laughs> after he was put in jail for obscene material, and I was threatened by the government saying they were going to come after me for creating and distributing obscene materials across state lines, and I'm like, this is bogus, this is just a comic book, this is just drawings, There's. There's nothing obscene about this. What he's talking about, the subject matter, uh, priests raping children and shit, that is the obscene part. And the reason you're banning him is because you don't want him to talk about all the priests raping little boys and not going to jail for it. Ay, ay, ay. So uh, uh, I also have worked a lot with Max Hardcore, who's gone to jail for obscenity, and I worked for Rob Black, who went to jail for obscenity. I did uh, one of the... Craziest films that was ever released by Rob Black Club Satan. I did that with Matt Zane. And that's when I got to work with Dark Funeral, uh, a really awesome, cool, uh, satanic death metal band uh, out of the cold winter darkness up there around the Norway and the Sweden and all those horrible dark places with black and death metal. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, it, I, I've had a really great career doing music videos. You know, that's been a lot of fun. So how many uh, music videos have you been involved with? I think I've directed about 10 or 12 different music videos at this point. Okay. And under my belt right now, I think I've directed about 150 different projects. Nice. From feature films to, I mean, I I directed all the American Horrors episodes. I directed all the True Crimes episodes. I directed all the interstitials for American Horrors.
0: When did you uh, begin uh, the American Horrors TV Series, uh, or so to speak, it's uh, has it always been an online or or, 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 well, did you start out online or did you uh, start out on a Roku channel or how did that?
1: No, the way American Horror started, uh, I was recruited by three black Christian ladies to host a horror block that was going to be called American Haras. Uh, They were working with a bunch of new satellite channels. These satellite channels were launching across Europe. So all across Europe, (coughs) they were gonna be launching these Americana style channels. And they were gonna be in like Denmark, Norway, Sweden. It was gonna be in Spain and in France and uh, Italy and Croatia and Serbia. And it was going to roll out all around those uh, areas. We signed the global broadcasting contract in 2008, and then it was a mad dash to get the show done because they wanted to launch. They were in the process of launching their satellites. They wanted my show on the air as fast as possible. Okay. So we got the TV contract, and then bang, we were we were rolling. And it was a tough time because at that particular time, you know, I, I did eventually move on with my life, and I got married in, in, uh, uh, to a wonderful woman, Wakako Kawagoshi, and uh, she was my wife for 17 years, and uh, she and I, she was recovering from cancer at the time, so I was taking care of her from her recovery from uh, severe cervical and ovarian cancer, and so she was recovering from chemo and radiation and her whole hysterectomy and stuff while we're running around shooting the show.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: In 2009, the real estate markets around the world crashed. There's a giant real estate crash. And so the companies we were working for went bankrupt. So there I was with an entire season of American Horrors shot, locked and cut. So I went around and tried to syndicate. And I went around and I submitted to FX and I submitted it to all the major broadcasters. And I went to NAPTI in Las Vegas. Uh, Funny story about NAPTI. I'm a pirate. I'm a serious <laughs> pirate. Uh, and I I stole somebody's booth. They didn't show up. They didn't show up on the floor. So the people behind Latin Heat donated a booth to the American Horrors television show. <laughs> <laughs> and I just took over their booth, hung up all my stuff, and ran my shit out of the booth for the day. <laughs> so uh, we never made any deals for the american horrors tv show what ended up happening was a a broadcast guy do you know what a a corporate headhunter is
0: uh someone who goes out and uh pretty much goes and seeks out uh projects or companies and tries to sell them to the highest bidder like a talent scout yeah yeah so
1: this is a corporate headhunter who's in charge of, of finding you know the best stuff so my one of my associates in the because we, we realized pretty soon that doing the TV show was really small, small change. What we really want to do was do a TV to TV channel. And so I was assembling the money and assembling the team to try to do this as a broadcast thing. And we realized we were going to have to raise about 30 million dollars for uh, FCC licensing fees and for the legal team to get us through it. OK. So we were like, shit. That's a lot of money. I don't know if I'm going to have the ability to do that. Uh, and we were having meetings and meeting with people, and people were pretty excited about it. And we, I got it in my head that I'm like, you know, maybe we should forget about broadcast, and maybe we should be focusing on streaming. And that way, we don't have to deal with broadcast standards for horror because they go up and down. There's no real clear metric. What NBC can get away with with Hannibal isn't the same thing that you could get away with on some other smaller rinkier dink channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can really see how money changes the game. Yeah. So we were in the process of trying to make this happen. And frankly, I gave up. I gave up. I didn't think I could do it. I gave up on it. I didn't tell anybody. I, just, I, I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to fail at this. I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, I got this phone call uh, from billionaire Alki David. Alki David is the heir to the Coca-Cola bottling empire. Okay. And so Alki was creating a thing that's like Hulu. Only Hulu was created by NBC and all those major corporations. And that's why it's kind of run, kind of shitty, and that's why it's kind of too expensive. You know, film on is free. Filmon.com is totally free. And I thought Alki was a visionary. So I got this call. From this billionaire who wanted to meet me and wanted to convince me to launch a horror channel with his new uh,
0: his new network, Film On. And it just so happened that you already had that season of American Horrors already filmed, correct?
1: Well, it wasn't, it was a TV network, not a TV show. He wanted a network. And in order for us to launch, we needed 300 hours of content that we could get on here. So I signed the deal in, let's say, May of 2011 with oh. Al. So I signed the deal with Alpi to create the TV network. Now, I'm not kidding you, now I start seeing stuff coming out about a rival TV show that has stolen my title, that has stolen elements of my network, that has stolen elements of my advertising and my taste making, uh, because the, I had submitted my show to this company, I had submitted it to them. So it's no accident that there's something called American Horror Story. (laughs) The cocksuckers. And there's no accident that the entire thing had to be changed from season one to season two. I won't get into details as a man who sued Marvel Comics over trademark and copyright infringement. And I won. And I have a history of winning litigation. Uh, Gee, one must ask themselves... When does a TV studio ever take a hit show and completely change it from season one to season two? (laughs) Never. They never do that unless somebody gave them a damn good fucking reason to do it because I like a fight. I like a fight. I will fight for my rights. I will fight for my products and I will win. I will beat you. I will bury you. We buried a lot of channels at American Horrors, and we're going to keep burying them because I'm that guy who keeps coming out of the grave. You can't kill (laughs) me. I faked my death for April Fool's Day in 1998. I was dead for a week. It took two different magazines to team up and track down the truth of my death, the Comics Journal and the Comic Buyers guy. So I am a guy who's crawled out of his own grave more than once. (laughs) So we had a mad dash to... Assemble 300 hours of content, licensed content, and formatted content, and watermark content. So we went bananas the summer of 2011, signing all kinds of deals with people, and we launched the American Horror's 24/7 linear streaming horror channel on FilmOn October 2nd,
0: 2011. Cool, and now ultimately uh, that is still running to this day correct uh the film
1: on channel is down actually uh i don't know what's going on with alki over there i've had some issues with alki he liquidated his staff uh and i'll say it frankly he owes me some money so (laughs) i need to go chase him for that i You know, you gotta love it when people take advantage of your wife's sickness. My wife, Waka, had a long fight with cancer and colon cancer killed her. She died three months ago on February 23rd. And I had a year and a half of, I was taking care of her all by myself and running the American Horror channels by myself. And it's really sad when somebody you've known and worked with for so long that you actually like and respect takes that opportunity and stops paying you when you need that money for your medical bills to take care of your dying wife. That's very uncool. And I haven't talked about this publicly. This is the first time I've talked about it because now I wanna have to go. I have to go get my money. I gotta go. And I'm like, Alki, you really disappointed me. And you let Waka down when she really fucking needed you, Alki. You let her down. (laughs) You let her down. Never forgive you for that. Never. That's
0: a sore spot with me. <laughs> Understandable. Um, going back a bit, uh, now y- you did some editing for a movie called Nobody Loves Alice, correct? Oh yeah, Roger Sheck's film, it's fantastic, a
1: really, really good film. Unfortunately, uh, I did the director's cut of it, and as far as I understand, it's never been released because the distributor never paid me for my work. <laughs> Uh, the distributor fucked me uh, when Garbage Man came out in 2009. It was their best-selling title of the year. And I didn't see a single effing penny. My wife's recovering from cancer at that point. I didn't see a single fucking penny. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Todd. Thanks a lot, you piece of shit. Wherever you are, Todd, I hope you died slow and painful, you prick. <laughs> so anyway, I did this editing job. And I, 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 what I did with the director's cut of Nobody Loves Alice Uh, I went in and one of the things about editing that, that most people don't understand or when you make a film, your sound design will set the reality for your actors. So nobody loves Alice. His sound design was really shallow. There wasn't any really. So there was no sound beds. There was like we had a whole scene in an office in the film. Uh, that was really flat in the original release. But once I layered in office noise and Xerox copier noise and and Walla in the background and doors shutting and all that stuff and gave it a reality, all of a sudden the performances became much better. You understand? I understand. That's really the thing that I bring to the table as a filmmaker or as a producer. I have experience that other directors just don't have. I I, I, I'm, I'm a professional editor, I was a, a paid hired gun. I owned a post-production facility for many years. It was called Crime Pays Inc. And I had about nine different editors working for me. I taught a lot of people how to cut. We were uh, award nominated house, we were uh, m- nominated many times uh, for AVN awards for our work that we did in the adult film industry through uh, that editing post-production facility. And so I have edited and cut so many projects and I've had to fix so many mistakes and I've acted in projects and I've been on television and I've been on all the major news media organizations. I've had giant debates on television. So when I come in to make a film or to edit a film, I bring a body of experience that I I think nobody else has. It's very
0: rare because I have so much shooting experience. I have so much experience in the editing room that I've heard it said before uh, to me that uh, sometimes uh, sometimes the editors get, uh, get kind of shuffled aside uh, uh, because in a sense editors are like the true directors because they're the ones that kind of go in behind the scenes and kind of, you know, make the direction of the films uh, 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 so that it's cut decently, whether or not it's the editors or the direct, uh, director who's done the editing or not.
1: Well, many times you, you got to look at it like this. Let's say you're a feature film director and you're on your second feature. Well, as a professional editor, that's probably your 100th film. <laughs> so as a professional editor, you're cutting all the time. That's what you do. You cut. As a film director, it takes you, generally speaking, it takes you two years to get through a film. It takes about two years. Uh, that's a battle. That's a war. So how much shooting experience can you possibly get if you're only making features? True. You can't. So the editor is really one of the most important parts of the film because the, the old adage is there's the movie you imagine, there's the movie you wrote, there's the movie you're shooting, and then at the end, there's the movie you shot, and you're in the edit bay and you got to deal with what you have, not with what you dreamed of, not with what you thought you got. You got to look real hard at the footage in front of you and deal with what you have in the can. And a lot of directors get locked in their original vision and they don't have the ability to be creative with what they got because it doesn't matter what you thought you wanted. What matters is what's in the can. Mm -hmm. And then you try to work with it and you try or maybe you see something in the footage. So I love to edit. One of my problems right now is, is my wife, uh, Waka was my partner in American horrors. It, it isn't. It wasn't just me. It was never just me. And when I say my partner, I'm not saying the bitch answered phones. No, she was my partner in all the decision making and what films we put on. You know, I, I used to get really angry because there would be all this talk about women in horror, women in horror, women in horror. Walk around the film on channel. Waka was in charge of her own TV horror network. I ran the Roku channel, and Waka ran the FilmOn channel. I, she didn't ask me. She didn't talk to me about what she's playing. She was in charge, mm-hmm. and I was furious that the horror press never gave her her due. I was always upset that they'd always talk about women in horror, and they wouldn't talk about Waka running a free channel supporting other female directors on the channel because we have a great deal of female directors of american horrors i believe i don't believe in in putting your back history up it doesn't matter when you got a movie and the movie's in that room and the, the audience is there they paid their 12 bucks to go see that movie and they're in that dark room They don't know if the director's black, white, or pink. They don't know if the producer's a woman. They don't know if the writer's a woman, a tranny, a gay, bi-gender raccoon. They don't fucking know. The only thing that matters is the movie, you guys. That's the only thing that matters. It's not about whether you had a vagina, a penis, or a hermaphrodite when you directed the film. The only thing that fucking matters is the
0: film. (laughs) Unfortunately, that, uh, that is the way that most pe- uh, people view <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I will admit that I, I have had been very, very angry over the way American Horrors has been treated by the horror press. Because we are a free channel. We have been on for eight years. We've been on every day. Every day we're on. And you don't have to have a Roku to watch American Horrors. If you don't have a Roku, you can go online at AmericanHorrors.com and watch for free and there's no commercials during the movies. There's, imagine that, no commercial during the horror film. Wow. And I'm playing all the horror films, like uh, House of Seven Corpses is a film that I read about in the pages of, I think it was Room War. So how come these magazines are not singing our praises for showing the films they write about for free that anybody can watch? That's the thing that bothers me, and some of the magazines literally told me, this has been one of the biggest disappointments for me, was magazines I knew and had a relationship with. Now that I had a TV channel flat out said, Hart, we won't write about you unless you pay us. You gotta pay us now. If you want us to write about American Horrors, you have to buy full page ads in a magazine. I have this in writing. I've never blown the magazine out over it, but I have the advertising director of a major horror magazine sending me this in writing. (laughs) And then telling me I wasn't a professional because I didn't play ball like everybody else. (laughs) Right? And I refuse. Fuck you! I'm not paying your magazine to write about my network. Fuck you! I ain't
0: doing it. You should want to write about anything that's horror. That's the thing. (laughs) Yeah, and and
1: I I used to buy these magazines, so I I got really upset. You know, why hasn't Famous Monsters of Filmland ever done an article about American Horrors telling everybody you can watch all these movies for free right here? Why haven't they, uh, or any of these other horror magazines? How come you've never read anything about American Horrors and Horror Hound? Probably because of they watch. I know they watch. Here's the thing: I know the editors of these magazines watch, and and I will say this flat out: Horror Hound is not the magazine that sent me that email, nor was it Famous Monsters of Filmland. It was neither one of those magazines that did that sent me the email. Uh, it, it's been it's been a, a crazy journey, and. I'm kind of shocked and saddened by how much of horror press is now pay to play. And as a fan, that's not cool. That's really uncool. If I'm paying for your magazine, if I'm into your magazine, I'm buying your magazine because you're supposed to be steering me to the right horror. You're supposed to be showing me the horror that you're into, not the horror you're paid to sell me. You get me? Yeah, I get, I get you. So I, I, I'm i furious over it. I, I really am. and I, I had to let it go, and I had to just focus on the work. I'm focused on the network. Uh, I, I lost my wife, and I'm struggling with what to do because she was my partner in every aspect of the business. You know, she ran the Film On channel. When we did our TV shows, Waka normally would do the first edit, and then I would do the final edit. We worked side by side together. Every day, we discussed everything. Nobody knew the catalog better than than me and her. So now I'm really struggling with how do I replace somebody who is so essential to my business, who is irreplaceable. Her knowledge of horror, and she was Japanese, so Mm -hmm. a other perspective to the network. She brought a real world view to the network, and that's why American Horror plays horror from all over the world. We originally titled it American Horrors because we knew we were marketing it in Europe. So now we stuck with the title, we like the title, and it's indicative of the company. You know, American Horrors is meant to be a full service horror company, just like Disney is. Imagine if there was a Disney for horror, but not run by a bunch of corporate psychopaths, run by a guy who loves horror, who loves it. That's what I'm doing, so right now, We are gearing up for launching a bunch of new stuff on the channel. On June 24th, we have the world premiere of the Gorecast second season. Gorecast is a great show out of Ireland with Johnny and Giz. And we've got the second season of Mission Terror is going to premiere this summer, which is a really good paranormal investigations show by uh, Chad and Travis, who are based out of Rockford, Illinois. And then we've got uh, another series that we are in the process of creating with Matthew Stratton. Matthew is a world renowned special effects pyrotechnics guy who is based out of Illinois. And he, like, if you've seen Wanted, he did all the guns on Wanted. He did Angelina Jolie's guns, everybody's guns. So we're going to be doing a TV series with him uh, that's coming up that we're going to start shooting at the end of June, beginning of July. And I'm getting behind the director's chair again. I'm going to climb back into the chair and uh, I'm going to direct a lot of the series we've Signed on board Dieter Sturm, who is an Oscar-winning effects man. Dieter is going to come on board and direct four episodes of this series with Matt. And I'm looking for other series to air on American Horrors. I'm looking to raise money for the very first fictional television series that I want to uh, do on American Horrors. It's very much a cross between what I know about satanic cult activity in our government and the military and cross that with X-Files and The Exorcist, and I've been working
0: on this for about seven years now. Very cool. Uh, I, I'm enjoying listening to, uh, to everything that you're saying, so. <laughs> um, uh, you're getting me in a mellow mood. For, for the viewers at home or the listeners at home,
1: uh, I got up two hours early to do this interview. I normally get up in the
0: afternoon. I'm up all night. Well, know, I. I appreciate you being able to come on and talk to me about this. Uh, 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 this. Uh, I enjoy uh, uh, hearing. I mean, I know what I heard heard from you know the documentary that you were uh, on with John Borowski, uh, 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 you know. But uh, but hearing what, it, uh, what did you think of serial killer culture? I actually enjoyed watching. You know, I mean. I, I i mean I'm sure there's more uh, more that he's uh, uh, i mean he's got he's, he's working on the editing process for season two so i'm 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 excited
1: uh i th- john, is, john is without a doubt the number one guy to go to for true crime john is the best documentarian for true crime and alternative art his new uh doc that he's got out now i believe it's called bloodlines john's just an amazing creator he gets a little bitchy sometimes but we all <laughs> when we're creating and we're getting ripped off all the time. But John, if you're listening, uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. Cause I I moved back to the Midwest. I've been living in Los Angeles for 22 years and I moved back here for my wife's uh, healthcare, uh, to, to better take care of her, get her in a cleaner environment, clean air, clean water. Uh, And now here I find myself in Lake Geneva, and uh, I'm doing the American Horrors Film Festival. Our second film festival is going to be October 26th. By
0: the way, how was that? I I know that, uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, uh, when I started my film discussion, I started off... Talking, uh, talking on, because uh, what I do is uh, I go on weekly and talk about a film with several different people, and some mm-hmm. of that, some of the dead guard uh, girls from Dead Guards got Dark Coffin Classics. They talk with me on my show, so oh, not that pretty lady talking to you on your show. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and they help uh, promote, you know, Degar's Dark Off and Classic. Well, I'm, I'm working with Degar. Degar uh, was the co-host last
1: year of the event. You know, the American Horrors Film Festival is very different than other film fests. For one thing, at the American Horrors Film Fest, one of our judges is an Oscar winner. <laughs> Number two, at the American Horrors Film Festival, there is no committee. I decide what films go in the festival. Just me. <laughs> I am it ain't nobody else, motherfucker, it's me. I watch every submission, every one. There's no insider bullshit. So if you're my friend and you think because you're my friend you're going to get in, that's wrong. It's about the quality of the film. It's about the quality of the film. So the way I handle it is I'm watching all submissions. We just opened up our doors for the 2018 submission uh, run. If you want to submit your film, find us on filmfreeway.com. Uh, It's the American Horrors Film Festival, and we're easy to find, uh, and we're very affordable. Our film festival is very affordable, and we have a a full-on laser light show with state-of-the-art lasers. We have uh, actors and directors are there, but here's the thing. We're shooting for American Horrors, the channel, so not only will your film be covered in the festival itself, not only do we have an extensive social media campaign, advertising the American Horror Film Festival, not only do you have the American Horror Channel promoting it and your film uh, worldwide, there are executives from all the major film studios, many of them from the major uh, television channels, other directors and, and writers and editors are all watching American Horror. Uh, e- editors at all the horror magazines watch American Horror, <laughs> I know this for a fucking fact. Uh, so you're you're going to get exposure and at the festival itself we we shoot we shoot a TV special so when you enter your film if you're there and you're part of a panel your panel's going to be broadcast on american hours there's going to be a television component and when we did it for the first time this year on january 1st we ran an online film festival uh, and not every film it goes into that portion you know we work with the film creators and ask them who wants it to be broadcast, who does not. For a one-day-only showing, a one-day-only showing, and we had the highest ratings of our Roku channel's history. And here's something else I'd like to throw out there. Uh, For all you other horror networks, for all you other folks out there, for every other television network, for everybody in the news division, for everybody who's writing stories, I'd like to ask you a simple question. Why don't you tell me what television network, what TV channel, had thirty two point oh four percent growth in the last six months of two thousand seventeen.
0: <laughs> I uh, I highly doubt that there has been one.
1: There uh, hasn't been they, one. Chiller went out I, of business. I, I
0: see that they've been canceling shows off and on in the in, in the network. So, <laughs> so Chiller's gone.
1: Uh, we buried Fearnet. Fearnet disappeared in two thousand thirteen. We buried them. People didn't think we'd outlast them, but I told them we would. We buried Chiller. They're gone. You know, uh, I had some personal issues with some of the people at uh, uh fear net that most folks don't know. They ripped off some style stuff from us and I get real pissy about that. So the Chiller people were cool. They were straight ahead. They were good people. I liked them. Uh, I'm kind of sad to see their channel go. Cause I felt there was room for them. I really believe that there's room on the stage for everybody. I think the stage is big enough for there to be many horror channels, but at the same time, I'm super competitive. I'm you, super, super competitive.
0: What do you think about the iBleed Indie uh, uh, network? Or I know that popped up. Never even seen it. Huh. Never even heard of it. What <laughs> is it? Uh, it? it's a similar cha- uh, channel to, uh, uh, that uh, allows VOD things, uh, kind of. Here's uh, so the
1: question: Is it a streaming channel? A streaming. Or is it a video on demand site? Because I get pissed off. You can't, if you're a YouTube and you're just fucking got a, a bin of videos, you're not a fucking channel. no <laughs> on demand psych cocksucker. A channel is like water. You turn on the faucet,
0: it runs. You Why don't I know have to think. I know the bloodshed uh, uh, put that uh, that up a couple years uh, 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 like two years ago so uh, I don't know how it's going or
1: whatnot but uh, I know some of the guys from the bloodshed and I I, I want to put together I want horror hosts to get a hold of me because I want to assemble a lineup of a lot of horror hosts I don't want to just play one I would like to give many 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 people a shot on the American horror channel I'd like to share the airwaves and get a lot of people exposure. So I am looking for other horror hosts, and what I'm trying to do is find like films they've got that aren't covered by other guys. So I I don't want a gang fuck of all the guys covering the same PD movies. Because one of the things I do at American Horror is, is, one, we license our products. We go and we license movies from filmmakers. We're a real channel. We're a real goddamn business. We have actual commercials. If you have an independent film coming up, we're probably your best bet
0: for advertising to reach your audience. You because ended up putting the short film of a friend of mine who talks uh, mm-hmm. who talks on my uh, on my podcast with me, uh, Dane Keel's Aeternus film, so...
1: Yeah, it's uh, on our network.
0: He was in the film festival. That's a
1: great, great, short, <laughs> silent film. And in fact, after my wife's death,
0: the film had a different resonance to me. <laughs> so... Um, uh, uh, so I, I, kn- I know that uh, you definitely put your, uh, 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 put, uh, put your, um, uh, put them up there, uh, not because, you know, they're friends or or anything like that. Never. No, so. you, can't,
1: you can't do the nepotism <laughs>
0: because it's the same thing I said about,
1: you know, nobody cares if you're a green alien bunny rabbit. They only care <laughs> if the movie any good. Is the movie any good? Is the movie any good? So that's my mantra. Is it interesting? Does it hold your attention? Mm-hmm. Uh, At I believe that since I have so many hours of the day to fill, I can experiment. I can take chances on things. So a lot of the films we air are recommended to me by horror director friends, uh, one of my friends, Chris J. Miller. Hey, Chris, I'm so happy that you've been able to survive your chemo and your battle with cancer. I'm really happy you're still alive, buddy. If you're listening, I love you and I miss you. Uh, I just had to get that out there. Uh, <laughs> Chris helped me a lot. When I launched American Horrors, I reached out to everybody I knew in the business and said, hey, here's an opportunity for all of us. Chris seized that opportunity with both hands. He helped me find movies. He introduced me to film historians who helped me find uh, public domain films that not everybody had. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. We worked with the film historians, so that's how I was able to find like a print of Invasion of the Flesh Hunters with John Saxon that I could legally air on the network, or that's how I was able to, to get copies of The Virgin Witch. And we have uh, lawyers and, and legal people that work with us to assess whether or not something is public domain or perhaps this particular print, like you know, a lot of the Dario Argento stuff, when it was released under different names, it wasn't copywritten properly. So you get that loophole of being able to air those those prints from that release, you know. Uh, and then, you know, we license feature films from people. We license films from filmmakers and music videos. And uh, I, I really love what I do. This is my life. I, I <laughs> love it. American Horrors is on in my home all the time. I hang out with my friends, and we got the channel on. <laughs> I I would like to find – does the does the president of NBC have NBC on in his house all day? That's why <laughs> it sucks. That's why your network sucks. Have you looked at the TV guide and looked at the shrinking primetime? Primetime used to be a lot bigger. And there's all these really crappy news shows on NBC and ABC and CBS, all this effing garbage. And, frankly, Netflix is making a lot of really good stuff. What I would like to see happen is I think Netflix needs to pick up some streaming channels. And I really think Netflix should carry American horrors. There (laughs) needs to be a streaming horror channel that streams through Netflix. That's something I want to make happen. I'm looking for more people to help me make this business bigger. Right now, one of the big things I need to find is I need to find a guy. Our ratings are good. So now we're at a point where I need a full-time ad guy. I need to hire a full-time guy to uh, sell our advertising. We already have direct response ads. And hey, folks at home, if you're watching American Horrors, you need to understand that those direct response ads, we're not paid money up front for those. We get paid when you call them. So if you need a service or if you're going to do any of these commercials, do it from the ones on American Horrors, please, because then we'll get some money, and then we'll spend that money on getting better content for the network.
0: See how this works? Totally see how it works. So right about now, uh, now I'll ask you about your acting career. Um, okay. Uh, for, uh, before we uh, uh, we end the show here, so uh, so that uh, 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 so that we know that you're uh, you're an editor, you're a director, uh, you're you're in charge of all this American horrors. So. Um, you've had an acting career in, in, in a, in a sense. Uh, so going back to, uh, uh, you were, uh, in a movie called Bloodstruck.
1: Uh, actually that never was released. I don't think. Was it? I'm not sure. It, Is that the one where I play Frankie the Enforcer? Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get stabbed in the throat on that one right after two penthouse pets blow me. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pimp in that movie. I'm, I'm Frankie the Enforcer. And I'm a pimp. And uh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm not aware if that project was ever finished or released. It was really too bad. originally, the original story of, of my involvement was this was supposed, that particular project was supposed to be three music videos that told a story. Okay. And I directed these three videos that appeared in them. So I directed it. I directed the project. We shot for six days straight. We shot all over L.A. Uh, What's his name from Children of the Corn? Uh, The actor played Malachi. Uh, What the hell? I can't remember his name. Uh, He's got the red hair. He's in colors. He's actually a really great actor.
0: Okay. Chris uh, Bershett?
1: No. uh, It'll come to me later. He's a fantastic actor, too, and I hate that I'm mangling his name. But he's a union actor, and so there's different rules. So this producer they came in under the rules of being able to be in the music video that was non-union, but then he wanted to turn it into a feature film and all the actors got super fucking pissed. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. This is a music video. Legally, you can't do that. So I don't know what happened. I, I, I stopped communicating with that particular producer. Uh, I, I don't know what happened with bloodstruck. Cool. Uh, the
0: funny thing
1: about, about the acting is, I, uh, I had this long career of arguing with people on TV <laughs> from being <laughs> me, a bad guy in like, you know, Sally Jesse or Jerry Springer <laughs> being treated like that or, or having to deal with it. So I, I had a long time of performing in that capacity as, as a public persona. And then also I've, I've got a 30 year, almost 30 year career of doing spoken word. I've done spoken word around the world. I'm, I'm a critically acclaimed poet. It's kind of funny to say that. It's weird when you start talking about your own career. and You're like, yeah, I'm a critically acclaimed
0: poet. Let me tell you how great
1: you. So I am. So I do spoken word. My first book of poetry, Poems for the Dead, was released in 1995. Yeah. Uh, it was reprinted by Chaos in 1998. My second collection of poetry, Still Dead, came out right after I faked my death. <laughs> These books were sold in uh, Hot Topic in the mall. I was very proud of myself that I got my products carried in Hot Topic. <laughs> and uh, so I, I had this long career performing. And when I signed the deal to do the television network, it was the three black Christian ladies, which stunned me with my career. And being known as the devil of, of comics, <laughs> uh, it was stunning to me to have a Christian network sign me. So... <laughs> It was their idea. They're like, we want you to host. You're going to be the on-camera host. We want you to do this. And I was like, oh, uh, well, OK. <laughs> and Once I started doing the interviews and on-camera interviews and being a host, I found I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I like talking to people. And I enjoy goofing around. Uh, so I, I learned the camera. So I used the time as the host of American Hours to get a certain kind of comfort in front of the camera. Because that's a big one as an actor. Can you be comfortable in front of the the camera and and be yourself? So I started doing the hosting, and all the directors I knew, they kind of liked my vibe. So that's how I started getting cast. Directors would know me, and they would cast me. Like, uh, I'm in uh, Chris J. Miller's 2035 Forbidden Dimensions, and I'm a, a bounty hunter. Okay. The whole the whole. Costume in there is all my own clothes. <laughs> We're in all my own clothes. You know, it was pretty damn funny. <laughs> that was a lot of fun.
0: What's your next question? Um, Mortuary Massacre. I assume. Have you great. seen it? No, I have not. It's a really gory,
1: gory, gory film. <laughs> that one's a fun one because I'm I've been grooming myself to do more acting, okay. so I, I've been trying to take roles where I get a little more dialogue each movie okay, so that I could get a little better instead of being thrown into the deep end and sucking <laughs> <laughs> and trying to learn, you know, I, I want to be good at this, I want to do a good job I want to make my director happy so uh, Chris cast me into this film and he cast me as a corrupt cop and I, I get to beat my suspect to death and again, I'm wearing all my own clothes in this film uh <laughs> <sighs> And then when I was in, in Bound by Blood, the sequel to The Orphan Killer. Uh, in The Orphan Killer, it's one of those masked uh, Jason Voorhees kind of guys. And <laughs> Matthew Horwich was playing him. He's a professional MMA fighter. And so I've done, M- I've done martial arts training since 1987 when I first started in Taekwondo. Then I moved into Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, grappling, and, and Russian Sambo from one of the most amazing martial arts uh, instructors and practitioners I've ever met in my entire life, Gokor Chavichian, wherever you are, Gokor, I hope you're well, I hope your family's well, you're a good friend, and one of the most amazing martial arts people I've ever met, and he's the unofficial, uh, you know, the the unofficial stepson of Gene LaBelle, you know, uh, Gokor and Gene, so I got to, to train with and have a friendship with Gene LaBelle from my years of martial arts, so when it came time for me to do Bound by Blood, they cast me as me, (laughs) <laughs> I'm playing Hart D. Fisher. My my. I'm Hart D. Fisher. He comes to my house where I'm living in L.A. I'm wearing all the old boneyard press clothes I used to wear at comic conventions, the smoke crack and worship Satan shirt. I pulled them out of the box, the old my old clothes box, and I pulled out my old combat boots with spikes on them. And we had a knockdown brawl in my front yard. Uh, I get my head smashed in with a brick. Yeah. <laughs> And he steals my car, he takes my car and goes on a killing spree, my 83 Chevy Impala. And so uh, I left all the fake blood in the Impala for like a year after that. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a. I I was doing heart attack radio back then, uh, pretty hardcore. So we had to get a permit. I made sure they got the filming permit because they're going to kill me in my front lawn. And the neighborhood I lived in was a high crime area. So... <laughs> All the police were coming by to watch me get killed. They they liked me. They called me the voice of Highland Park because I'm i critical of the police, but I'm also uh, an advocate for, for things they need, you know, with my show. I understand that if you get angry at the police, you need to understand that the rules are made by civilian leadership. If you want to make a change in policing, then you need to address the civilian leadership. you got to talk to the mayor. you got to talk to the city council. They are in charge of police policies, not the cops. So you mm-hmm. got to go to the head. Uh, and I speak about that. I talk about issues with most people don't understand that when you're dealing with a cop, you're dealing with a guy who is working a crazy hours. He's working insane hours. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty shitty at my job by hour twelve or hour thirteen. <laughs> so let's let's remember that America. That's we got to remember that. Now I don't I don't back some of the bad things I see because a bad cop ruins it for everybody. And you mm-hmm. got to hold them up to a higher standard because you are the badge. Therefore,
0: you must. Be held to a higher standard. Period. <laughs> and I and I agree uh, 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 to a certain extent. Uh, uh, someone who is holding a badge should be held to a certain degree because they are supposed to be if out there. Could... of the law. If you are a representative of the law, then
1: <laughs> you need to be held to a higher standard, and you need to be held accountable for your actions because you have a gun in your hip. You have a gun. That's a lethal thing. There, somebody's life. Somebody's kid, somebody's cat or dog, their mom, their granny, whatever, can end up dead for the consequences of your actions. So therefore, you must be held accountable for your actions. You must be held responsible for what you do, and you don't get a carte blanche to lie or turn off your body cam or make evidence disappear when you get caught
0: doing something wrong. That's just terrible. Now, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we... Uh, uh, before we end this uh, interview here? Uh, Well, that's a tough one. You know,
1: uh, I've been going through a lot the last couple of months. I would like to apologize to the fans uh, for the film on channel going down. A lot of that had to do with Waka's health problems. Uh, I want to apologize to the fans for the fact that I have neglected the channel a bit for the last three months, uh, I've been going through depression over the loss of my wife, and I'm coming out of it. I'm coming out of my hole again. I'm crawling out of my grave again like I always do, and I have nothing in my life but American Horrors. This <laughs> is my life. Uh, my wife and I were together for 17 years. This was our child. We did not have children. American Horrors is the child of me and American uh, me and Waka. I am devoted to American Horrors 110%. I am devoted to the American Horrors Film Festival. Enter your film. uh, You're going to get a fair shake. I am going to watch the whole thing. I will not watch it and be on the phone with people. I will give your film an honest screening. Uh, Your film will be screened in an amazing $2.5 million renovated theater. It will be seen by lots of great people in a wonderful town, wonderful audience. Uh, American Horrors is free. You watch it on your Roku if you want to add the Roku channel. If you want to add American Horrors to your Roku, the channel code is AMHOR, A-M-H-O-R, for the American Horrors linear streaming channel on Roku. If you don't have a Roku, watch it at AmericanHorrors.com. And I also let people know that we've got really good uh, uh, expanding video on demand section of AmericanHorrors.com. So on the video-on-demand section, you can see my film, The Garbage Man. You can see a lot of our shows. We have a lot of free items on there. But straight up, folks, if you want to support the filmmakers, when you rent a title from us, half of that rental fee is going to go to the filmmaker. Get it? So go ahead. Do the VOD. That way these guys get some money, man, because Amazon just slashed all their payouts to everybody. I'd say, fuck Amazon Prime. Fuck you, Amazon, you cocksuckers. Fuck the people at YouTube, your cocksuckers. They just screwed every creator. YouTube and Amazon Prime both are hammering all the creators. So creators, I would say to you, fuck Amazon. Come to me. Make a deal with me. Let's get your stuff on the AmericanHomers.com VOD section where we're going to actually pay you. Half of that rental fee will go to you. Not a weird algorithm. You don't have to have 60,000 people a week watch your shit before you get five cents. This is a straight deal. This is straight bids. I'm here to free American horror creators from the tyranny of the corporations. I'm trying to build something big here and I need help. I need a lot of help. I'm looking for an army. Get a hold of me. I need graphic design people. I need social media people. It is time for us to take this industry. Back from the corporate pirates who fuck us over with shitty sequel after shitty sequel. It is time for us to get behind a real revolution. You need to get on board the American horrors, real world horror revolution, because in American horrors, the revolution will be televised.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and uh i have been your host uh, david Straggy, for uh, uh, mo- uh, most of this uh, uh, uh interview i ap- appreciate you coming on and uh speaking your mind a uh, mind uh none of this will be cut all of this will uh, uh, it, w- it will be here up on my youtube page for all of you so uh appreciate your time coming <laughs> uh, on and uh Hopefully, uh, we'll be getting some kind of a message. <laughs> well, you know, it's my pleasure to be on this
1: show, and also one yeah. last shout out. I just wanted to wish uh, one of my models, uh, Rachel Glass. I wanted to wish her a happy birthday. She had a birthday last week. Uh, she just turned twenty-two. You could see her in all the advertising for the American Horror Film Fest. So, happy birthday, Rachel!
0: <laughs> and uh, if any uh, one of you do not know me, I'm I'm actually one of the. Uh, uh, I run a a blog called uh, Movies Galore at Milwaukee, and uh, I also uh, run a group with the same name. So uh, I do write written reviews as well as uh, I, I, I do online I, I reviews and whatnot. I'm also a small-time producer myself. Uh, one of the uh, w- uh, one of the short films that I've just recently done is up on my page, uh, I believe, for the rest of the day yet. Uh, and uh, I'm also one of the executive producers behind Wrestle Massacre, which is coming out with, uh, uh, with that Brad Twig has uh, d- uh, directed. So definitely check that out in August. So, oh, I see that. <laughs> uh, I ended up uh, becoming really good friends with Brad. So, uh, so uh, I uh, ended up turning around and uh, helping produce uh, that project. So.
1: Well, we're, we're working on getting some uh, wrestling programming on American horrors. I started talking to some of the local folks in Milwaukee, and especially uh, Morgan Foley. Uh, Morgan just won his championship belt at a big brawl out there in Milwaukee, so congratulations on your belt, Morgan, and uh, we're going to be trying to get some crazy, insane wrestling on American Horror soon. Very cool, and
0: you're more than welcome to reach out to Brad uh, yourself uh, uh, down the road here, so in any case, thank you for uh, for listening, like, uh, like subscribe, and uh, pl- uh, please uh, enjoy this inter- I- I- interview, and uh, hopefully you um, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed yourself on uh, on the sh- uh, show uh, and uh, uh, anything uh, anything that uh, you need to help get uh, get anything advertised you're more than welcome to come back
1: oh, it's my pleasure to come back I really enjoyed the conversation uh, I'm trying to calm down you know I've been kind of hyper crazy I started a new Facebook profile because I'm, I'm starting a whole new chapter of my life so I'm trying not to be so... Heart attacky all the time.
0: <laughs> well, and I, enjoy, I enjoyed listening to you. I hope I hope that others will enjoy listening to hearing because it's been a while since you've probably been on mm-hmm. uh, talking in, in this kind of platform. Correct? Yeah, I, I had to take a sabbatical from. I,
1: I put my radio show on Jackalope Radio. I put it in Mothballs Heart Attack, uh, which is more about politics. Uh, but I had to mothball that to take care of my wife because, frankly, colon cancer is no joke. She was bedridden for a while. She's in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really, really difficult time. Uh, it's it's un- unbelievably difficult. And that's why I kind of laugh. I'm like, if anybody knew much about my life, I don't give a fuck what you say about me on Twitter. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck what you say about me on Facebook. When you've been through the things I've been through, it don't fucking matter. <laughs> I don't care what you think in Idaho. Go fuck yourself. Don't care. Don't care your political ideology. Just don't care. I'm all about the horror. I'm all about the horror.
0: <laughs> and so am I. And that's why I ha- uh, that's why I love having um, uh, people uh, of your ilk uh, uh, on uh, talking. Uh, and I love to talk. And every, me too. Every time I have an interview, I'm I'm learning. Uh, uh, so <laughs> definitely. In, in any case. On that note, I'm going to end the show. So um, uh, definitely say good, uh, uh, good night or good afternoon if you can. Good night, crazy. <laughs> All righty. Stay tuned for uh, um, a possible uh, another interview with an, another director, possibly Sunday I- evening. I will let you know as I know it. So stay tuned for, uh, for more cr- uh, crazy films on this channel. My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.